Well, it's good to see you all here. It's good to see the sun streaming in, or it was just like 10 seconds ago. Um, whenever I see sun starting to happen more and more, I automatically think flip-flop weather is coming. And I cannot wait to not have to wear shoes outside uh, because that is how I live my best life when I'm in flip-flops. Um, as you may or may not know, if, you're, if you haven't been here for a while, we've been going through a sermon series called Experiencing God, and we're looking at the Holy Spirit and ways that he works in our lives and how we can experience, experience God through that work. And we've been looking at a lot of things that he's done in us. He, does, he, he gives each of us different gifts. He gives us different ministries. He gives us um, different outward things that he works in us. And as we end this series, I want to take some time today to look at something that he does in all of us, something that we all have in common and how he works in us. Um, the Spirit works in different ways in us, absolutely, but he, all ha he has the same goal for all of us, and that is for us to be able to experience God. Um, that we would experience, we wouldn't just know God, but that we would experience him deeply in our lives and that we wouldn't just know the gospel, but that uh, it would become a reality that we live out of. And so um, I was asked to close off this series by preaching through Ephesians chapters one to three. So if anyone brought a snack today, we might have to do a loaf and fishes miracle situation to get through it. Um, just kidding, God, God had mercy on us and we We'll only go, be going through a couple of little passages and doing a flyover. Um, hopefully, that uh, this is going to be like a good time where we're not just coming away from this morning being like, oh, okay, like now I know more stuff about God, but that we actually are moved to worship because of our experience of God's work in our lives through the Holy Spirit, and that it becomes more real to us today than ever before. So we're going to be in um, Ephesians 1 at first. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, there's some Bibles in your pews, and obviously we have our phones that we can turn to. Uh, Paul's hope in these chapters is that we would go simply from knowing things in our minds to experiencing uh, things with, with our hearts and our lives. And I'm a person who likes to know things. I like to know, um, I like learning. I'm in school right now finishing up a master's degree, and um, it's kind of a love-hate relationship that I have with school, actually. Like, I, don't, I like it when people just tell me what I need to know. Like, I don't want to have to do the work of, like, I have to go do all this reading. Guys, I have to read so much right now. And I have to, uh, I don't want to have to, like, start trying to figure out ways to practice it. Um, I, I don't want to have to do, like, the long papers and the projects. I just want, just tell me what I need to know, and I'll, I'll be good. Um, but what I've learned, over the years of being in school is that when I, when I have these experiences, when I'm doing experiential learning, it gets deeper into me and I, I retain more of what I know and uh, the, the knowledge gets deeper into me, the experience helps me to learn more effectively and it ensures that I'll be able to apply what I am learning later on in my life and that's the goal. It's not just to know stuff, it's to be able to apply it. And sometimes that's how I approach the Bible as well. So I think I've shared some, this before with some of you. Like I open my Bible sometimes and I, I like to get into the details and I'm like, what does this word mean? What did Jesus mean? Why, why, why did he say it this way and not this way? And so I like look up commentaries and I like have my highlighters, all my color coding and I'm like highlighting and drawing arrows and making notes and, and, and uh, being like, oh yeah, that verse relates to this verse. <clears throat> and then when I'm done, Sometimes I'm tempted to be like, okay, I learned something, and just walk away from that. From that. 
And if I give in to that temptation of being satisfied that I've like gotten some information out of my devotional time and, and I've gained some new understanding, if I stop there, then I walk away and not, not really having reflected on what God might be saying to me through that text. You know, like what, what is he trying? Maybe I miss what he's trying to tell me through that text, how he might be correcting me or encouraging me or uh, asking me to go deeper in something with him. And I can miss seeing how I'm, I am to live in light of that text. And so that's my hope for us this morning, that we're going to move from, from knowledge into experience. So let's look at Ephesians 1. We're going to start in verse 17. Paul prays for us in this passage. He prays for the, the saints at Ephesus and, and for us by extension. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you would know him better. And he prays that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And he prays that, that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believed. Paul obviously wants us to know things. Um, he uses that language several times in this, in this verse. I want you to know this. I want you to know that. Um, but he's not just praying that we would know God. But more, more than that, he's praying that we would know the benefits of knowing God in our lives and that this knowledge would work into our hearts. He's praying for wisdom and, under, and revelation. Wisdom is the ability to apply, like I was talking about with my schooling. It's the ability to apply your knowledge in practical ways in your life. So in this case, it's the ability to apply what you know about God into, into a relationship with him and to be able to live that out. And revelation is simply a word that means like to open up or to, uh, to reveal. And so God's praying that, or Paul's praying that God would reveal himself to us, that he would pull back the curtain so that we could see him more, so that we could know him more, and so that we can live out of a deeper relationship with him because of that knowledge. For Paul, the knowledge of God isn't supposed to just stay in our heads. It's supposed to move into our hearts. It's supposed to penetrate our hearts so deeply that it's something that we experience and we live out. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for all of us who are believers. That's what we all have in common. That's the goal that he has for all of us, that he would make these things real and livable experiences in our lives. So I want to talk today about what that might look like. And we're going to skip over to Ephesians 3, 16 to 19 now, where Paul is again praying to the Father, and this is what he prays. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul's praying this experience over us and I want to explore this prayer and dig, dig into it and what it might look like in our lives. And so the first thing that Paul prays for us is that we would be strengthened with power out of God's glorious riches. 
And the word strengthen here can be translated as giving health or invigorating us or empowering us. And this, this isn't a request that Paul's just praying like, oh God, I hope you have a little strength to spare for this person because they need it in their life. He's praying that God would strengthen us, us out of his glorious riches. If we want to know how much that is, we just need to skip down a couple verses in chapter 3 to verse 20. And it talks about how much God is able to strengthen us because Paul writes that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work with us. Immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, how much I can imagine. Maybe I can imagine this much of what God can do. And then it's like, and maybe I can, like, possibly, like, measure this much more of what God can do. And it's, like, beyond that. It's beyond what we could even possibly fathom. That's how much he can do for us. That's how much he operates and, and, and lives towards us and loves towards us with generosity and grace. That's how much he's willing to strengthen us. God has more than enough power for all of us for what we need to empower us to live. You know, it feels like every time I'm scheduled to preach, stuff comes up and I end up having like the busiest like couple weeks leading up to preaching. I don't know if anyone else here who preaches, I see Evange nodding. It just like stuff happens. And every time I tell my mom like, oh, I'm preaching this Sunday, she's like, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> and not in the sense of like, why are you preaching? But like, why, there's so much going on in your life. Why are you also scheduling yourself to preach? And I'm like, I don't do it on purpose, mom. Like, I don't think I'm irresponsible with my, my calendar. Maybe I'm a little overambitious, but it just happens. Just busyness comes up. So this week, like, I had, like, some extra meetings happen. I had, I was leading a staff training and planning day. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm in school. I have a massive paper due at the end of the month, and I'm, like, behind on a little bit, if I'm going to be honest. So there's just a lot going on. Um, and it takes away, it always, it always happens that, like, I'm just, like, oh, I'm, like, my attentions are divided, and, and, uh, and I come to, to needing to prepare to preach and it's really hard. I'm like, oh, man, like I'm so tired. But this is, this is the good part about this is that, like, I have to throw myself on God's strength in those moments in order to preach. And so I have to, I have to go to his feet and I have to confess, like, God, I'm tired. I'm distracted by all these other things. And I don't know if my brain has the capacity to, like, study more. And I have to ask him, like Paul, to strengthen me with power to see what he has for us in these passages that I study and to see what his heart is for you, the people who are going to hear me speak. And then I get to work, and I do what only I can do, and he strengthens me in that. And, and he does it time after time after time. Like, it's, it's never something he fails to do. He's always strengthening me in the busyness to be able to, to come and preach and know what he has for us. Pastor Daryl Johnson writes that riches of his glory, the riches of his glory are un, the unfathomable riches of God's very essence. This is what we have access to. The unfathomable riches of God's very essence. Wisdom, power, mercy, grace, justice, love, and creativity. The Father of the Lord Jesus acts towards us out of the inexhaustible wealth of his very being. He's happy to lavish these things on us. And he's happy to lavish strength and power on you in whatever you need for your life, for living. And if we want to talk about this power and look at what this power is, 
we need to flip back to chapter 1 um, to where we left off, starting in verse 19. It says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. So this is the same kind of power that we have access to, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it's power, that defeated death. And where else have we seen the Spirit bring life in, in, in the Bible? Well, there's, there's Genesis 1, where the Spirit was hovering over the empty and void earth, and he, was, he brought that power to bring creation forth out of nothing. And obviously at the Christmas story, we, we see the Spirit coming upon Mary, the Virgin, and she gives birth to Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. And this is the same power, this resurrection life that's, that's operating in our lives. It's operating in our very inner being. Because it's not just strength that, um, you know, like we, sometimes we can like, we can like try to, to have this physical strength, like, oh, I'm just going to power through. I do that a lot. Um, I, I'm just going to put my head down and get through whatever I have to do, and then I'll be okay. And, and that's not the strength that we're talking about. It's strength in our inner being, where we're just like, I'm just so tired. I'm just so, like, stuff is getting to me, and I need you. This is strength that God gives us. You know, when Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians, he is under house arrest. He's in not so great life circumstances. Um, he's under arrest and he's chained. He's allowed, I think from what we've, we read in the Bible, he's allowed to move around his house uh, during the day and he's allowed to have visitors and someone's actually transcribing Ephesians for him. So that person's coming to visit him and like writing down what he says and then leaving. And then at night, he's chained to a, a Roman guard so that he can't escape. So that's super fun. Um, and it's obviously disrupted his life. He's obviously um, wanting to do things for the kingdom of God that he's not able to do. He, in Romans, he writes about wanting to come to Jerusalem and see the Christians that are there, and he can't do it because he's under house arrest. And there's probably other things that he wanted to do for the kingdom, but he's, his life is on pause in the worst possible way while he's under house arrest. It says, it, we, we know that it lasted about two and a half years, and he's awaiting trial, and he's just sitting in his house. And so he's doing what he can. He's writing, but... He, he must feel pretty powerless in that, in that moment. And I know that none of us are under house arrest that I know of, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes it felt like it during the pandemic, am I wrong? Um, but we all have things in our lives that can feel disruptive, that can feel like our life is on pause or on hold for whatever reason, that we're powerless to change this thing, to operate out of any kind of strength, we just don't have the strength to face these things that, that are in our lives right now. Last time I preached, I mentioned that I have a close friend who had something happen to him that was just like totally surprised, unforeseen. Like he, he did not see it coming. Um, he, he, it has lasting consequences in his life. It's a situation that's just going to keep piling on more hurt and more hurt and, and more life disruption as it unfolds. And it has these lasting consequences. And, and when I was preaching, I was telling you about how compelled I was when I sat, for, sat with him for coffee. And he had tears streaming down his face as he quoted scripture after scripture to me about how God is close to the brokenhearted and how 
in his heartbreak, he knows that the verse that we read in, in Lamentations is true. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, therefore I will wait for him. Those were, those were things that were real in his life. And even though he was going through this unthinkable thing, this thing that like none of us saw coming who were in his life, that he was able to say that with conviction and to know that like this is real. God is strengthening me in my inner being. And so shortly after I preached that sermon, I spoke to him and I was like, hey, like I just want to let you know. Like, I didn't give details, I didn't say your name, but um, I did say like that you were going through something really rough and that I'm so compelled by how you're clinging to God in this. And his response to me was, who else would I cling to, Cheryl? Like myself? Like, he wasn't at fault in this situation, but he's like, I kind of, like, I'm, I'm powerless to change it. Like, what, who else would I cling to? I don't have the strength to change my circumstances. But he's clinging to the God who gives power and strength for us to live each day by his spirit. And so where today do you need to be strengthened with power? I said, oftentimes we can try to go through the motions and, and think that we're strong and that we've got this, but this strength comes into our inner being. And so when you look in your inner being today, are there things, are there areas where you need that strength? Maybe areas of struggle that you haven't even like shared with anyone? God is someone that you can tell about that thing and you can ask him to strengthen you with power out of his glorious riches, and he will rain down that life-giving strength and power on you out of his glorious riches. He promises to do that. Paul's second prayer request tells us a specific reason for why we need this, this power and why we need this strength. It says in, uh, in our passage that, so that it's so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. So we need this strength with power so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. You know, the, the life of faith is not simply like, I, I prayed the prayer, asked Jesus to come into my heart, and now I'm just going to live my life, and then one day I'll go to heaven. It's made up of these continual moments of trusting God, of making him the king of your life more and more fully, of allowing him to change you by, by his spirit. And Paul's not just talking about Jesus, like, visiting us from time to time, or like, he's just like our long-term guest in our, heart, in our hearts. He says that so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And the word dwell means that Jesus settles in our hearts, that he makes it his home, and that the, the hearts, our control center of our lives, are our, our home to Jesus. And not only that, that he's like, you know, the long-term guest or he's renting from us, but that like, he becomes the master of our hearts, that he becomes the master of the center of our lives. And again, Daryl Johnson writes, it takes power and strength to orient everything in a home around a new person, to change routines, attitudes, and to switch from living as our own master to living according to the will of a new master. It takes strength to do that. We need strength to be able to let Jesus into every room of our hearts, to, to let him into how we live our lives, so that he can transform us, so that he can transform our relationships, our habits, how we spend our free time, what we read or watch and allow into our, into our minds, and even, even allow him to go into those secret closets that no one knows what's in them, so that he can bring freedom and cleansing and healing. 
We need spiritual strength with power because there's something within us that resists that indwelling from Jesus. And on our own, we don't want to give up the control of our lives to him. We don't want to be like, here, Jesus, be the master of my heart. We don't want that. What we want is to have control and to maintain, you know, doing what we want to do in our lives. And that something that's within all of us can only be conquered by the life-giving power of the Spirit of God. So God prays, or Paul prays, that we would, um, that we would be empowered to let that happen, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. And the next part of, our, of his prayer is that we would realize that we're rooted and established in love. This part I love because he's not praying that we would be rooted and established in love. He's saying that we already are rooted and established in love. He's using metaphors here, and he's saying that we're planted like a, like a plant or a tree, and I understand this because I like plants. I have a lot of plants, and um, sometimes the roots like get down. They, they, like, if I'm a neglectful plant mom, um, my, the roots will get so far down into a plant that they're growing out the bottom, the holes in the bottom, and then, they're like, and then when you try to like, take it out of the thing to like, repot it in a new plant, it's like clinging, and you're like, Dah! and it's like, yeah. So sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been walking in nature, and there's like this little like tree and you're like, oh, I'm just going to pull up the, I don't know if anyone's a psycho like me and has tried this, but like you, you're like, oh, I'm just going to pull up this tree and you're pulling and it looks like it's just going to come up because it's this tiny little thing and the roots are like, nah, and you're, and you can't do it. Like it's, it's defeated you. And how many of you have seen a picture of like a little tree growing on top of a rock and its roots are all wrapped around it or like digging down into it? And you're like, man, there's no way that tree is going to stick around. You know, like, it's, it's, it's done for. It's just this little thing, and it's on a rock. And then, like, it stays forever and ever. Those of you who were at If Gathering a few years ago have a mug, maybe, with that, that image on it, that it's so resilient because its roots have, have dug down deep. And as long as those roots are around that rock, it's not going anywhere. The elements can attack it, try to, try to move it, try to shift it but it's solidly planted on that rock. So it's not going anywhere. And that's a picture of what we're like, rooted and established in love. Um, the, the word established comes from an architectural metaphor. So Paul uses two different kinds of metaphors here. And in other versions of the Bible, the word established is also translated as grounded or built up. So we're planted in love, but we're also, we have this foundation that's been stuck in the soil of God's love but we're also being built up. So it's something that's already happened and it's something that is happening continually. And we call that sanctification, that we're layer by layer, brick by brick, being built up into what God wants us to be and that he is making us more like Jesus every day, brick by brick, layer by layer, but we're, we're solid on our foundation of God's love. And Paul wants us to be empowered by the spirit and to realize that we're rooted and built up in the soil of love so that we would be strong enough to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We're already planted in it. And maybe you can look around and be like, oh yeah, God's love is this big for me. But it's so much more immense than what we can see and comprehend. It's not fictional. It's not like this theory, like, God probably loves us this much. It's for Paula, and it's an ex, uh, he experiences love that's real and substantial and measurable, and he wants us to be able to experience that as well. Now, some of us hear about God's love, and, and, and we have some baggage. It, it, like, triggers some stuff in us. 
You know, I've, I've shared before that I'm a pastor's kid. I have five siblings, so there's six kids in my family. Um, and several of my, my siblings don't want to have anything to do with God. Um, and that's pretty common in, in pastor's kids' lives. But um, one of the reasons why some of them are so bitter towards Christians and towards God is because people who claim to love God in our, in our past said pretty unnecessary, judgmental, and hurtful things to us when we were kids. Just really mean comments about haircuts and stuff. Um, and those wounds, those, those words that were hateful and unnecessary uh, caused wounds that obscured my siblings' ability to see God's love for what it was. They see this distorted version, and they're like, I don't want anything to do with that. It's, God's love is misrepresented to them. And so that's, that's not something that they want. And maybe some of you have similar experiences. Or maybe some of us grew up thinking that, you know, like we, we didn't like look a certain way or get the grade or, or be good in that sport or make that amount of money or whatever. You fill in the blank. And so we're not worthy of love because of that. Or maybe we might believe that there's things that we've done in our lives that dis- disqualify us from from God's love. Like, he can't possibly love me because of what I've done in my past. Or maybe there's something going on in your life that makes you doubt that God's loving you, that God loves you. Or maybe you just feel like you have to measure up in some way, and no matter how hard you work, you can't access the, the level that you need to reach in order for God to love you. And so you just doubt that he loves you. Or we look at the state of our world and we're like, we can't reconcile the hate that we're seeing with God's love. Or maybe we just feel so alone and like, no one loves us. No one knows us. And so why would God love us? If you identify with any of these things, or if there's something I haven't mentioned, because that's not an exhaustive list, then this prayer is for you. Paul's writing this and praying it for you. He's asking God to strengthen us with power so that we can overcome all of the lies and, and, the, and truly experience the love that he has for us. Because God's love is wide and long and deep and high. So let's talk about how wide is God's love. It's wide enough to cover my sin. It's wide enough to cover your sin and the sins of all the people in this building and in this city and in this world. You know, when Paul was, uh, was writing, before Paul was saved, he literally was like a bounty hunter collecting Christians and trying to wipe the name of Jesus off the face of the, the planet and out of the history books. And God's love was wide enough to save him. God's love was wide enough to cover that sin. And so if it was wide enough to cover Paul's sins, it's wide enough to cover ours in our past and what we've done. And it's long. How long is God's love? Have you ever asked yourself, like, when did God set his, set his love on us? And how long will it last? Jeremiah 31.3 tells us that God has loved us with an everlasting love. Eternal love. So he's, he loves us for all eternity. And we know that we're just little blips in the grand scheme of eternity. And, but God has loved us for all of this extra time. He's, he's set his love on us. And God's love is deep. How deep is it? It's deep enough that Jesus chose, the Son of God chose to come down out of heaven 
to make himself like the lowest sinner to die on the cross in our place so that we wouldn't have to do that. That's how deep God's love goes. And how high is it? In Ephesians 2, 6, it says that it's, we are lifted up and seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. That's how high his love goes, that we're seated with Jesus. So let's just sit and think about that for a second. Like God loves us that much, covers our sins. He humbled himself to go out of the cross. He's loved us before we were born, and after we die, his love is still set on us. And he's going to raise us up and seat us in heaven with Jesus. That's mind-blowingly immense. It's not really easily comprehended. It surpasses our knowledge because we're never going to come to the end of it. And especially when we say things to ourselves and to other people like, God could never love me because of this thing. We're applying our limited knowledge to God's love in that moment. And we can't, we can't know the, the immensity of God's love on our own. But God is giving us strength and power to grasp it more fully and to comprehend it and to allow that to be something that we live out of. And I love that we can never get to the end of it just because it's so immense. I love that we can just keep going and keep going and keep going. And there's going to be more. And finally, Paul prays all of this so that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. His final request in this prayer is for us to experience full life in Jesus, in who the fullness of God resides. He wants us to be filled to overflowing with Jesus, um, allowing his character and his attributes to become our character and our attributes. He wants us to be so full of Christ's love that we're moved beyond simply just understanding into life, that it overflows into how we operate, into how we think, into how we live. Again, a quote from Daryl Johnson says that this isn't a prayer just for us to have a change in perspective so that we can cope with life and the stresses of our lives. And it's not a little shot in the arm to help us to go on living self-empowered and self-directed lives. Like we, okay, I got it, Jesus. We're gonna, I got it from here. Paul's praying that the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ would fill us with himself. And that the living God would fill us so full that, that nothing can measure it except the fullness of God itself. The, the amount of God is the only thing that can measure how much we can be filled with God. That's kind of mind-bending. I'm not sure I fully understand that. But it's just so much, friends. It's just so much. He's so good. I heard a podcast last night where a pastor was talking about how like when we're so full of God that way, when we have the fullness of Christ living in us, then there's no room in us for the sinful desires. Like it helps to expel those things that we struggle with because when we fill ourselves so full of God, there's no room for that stuff. And so that's what we, we should be chasing. We should be sweeping out the spaces so that we can make more room for God's love. That's what's going to make us godly. That's what's going to make us more fully human because that's what we were created to, to be. We were created to be full of God. We were made by God and for God, and, and the only thing that's going to finally satisfy us is God. And he has so much to give of himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I hope that we who are listening in this room or listening from home, I hope that we experience some of this, that this is already something that's true in our lives. But I do want to say that even if you don't, or if you do, there's more for you. There's more of this experience available to you. And I want to end by saying um, that in Ephesians 1 to 3, if you read through those chapters, 
Paul talks a lot about what God has done for us. So here's, here's a quick list. He chose us. He adopted us. He lavished grace on us. He redeemed us, forgave us. He's made known the mystery of history to us. He gave us an inheritance. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Even though we were dead in our sin and by our nature deserved God's wrath, he made us alive in Christ. He saved us by grace. He raised us up to sit with Jesus in the heavens. He prepared good works for us to do. He extended all of this so that it's no longer just available to the Jewish people, but to the entire world. He makes it possible for us to have access to him by the Spirit. He makes us all members of his household. And he does all of these things that Paul prays for in the two prayers that we looked at. But what we don't see in these three chapters is, is any command of what we have to do. And I think that's pretty profound, that we're not asked to do anything. That it's because all of these things that are, that are listed and so much more is available to us and we don't have to earn it. And that's where we need to start. Often it's like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to measure up? And God's done all of these things already for us. When we believe, we gain unhindered access to that in our lives. And so I'm not saying that we never have to do anything to grow in our walk with God and to, to work out our own salvation. Because if you go, continue reading in Ephesians, chapters 4 to 6 have things that Paul talks about that we need to do in order to, to live our lives with Christ. But I like that he starts these three chapters by praying that we would just understand what God has done for us, that we would grasp that, that God would give us power and understanding to be able to grasp what he's done for us because that is the foundation. That is what we live out of. Experiencing God starts with us resting in that and making our identity that and so today we're going to close the sermon by doing something a little bit different. Ordinarily we would do Q&A, but because I was talking about um, experiencing God today, I didn't think that doing like an intellectual exercise like Q&A was like the right response. So um, we're going to do a couple of things. The first one is that I want us to spend some time in quiet reflection. Um, just thinking about the things that we, we heard about what God has done for us about the, the possibility of how we can experience him in our lives and just spend some time thinking, like talking to God and being open with him about like where you might want that to, to be in your life, where you want him to reveal himself more, where he, you want him to strengthen you with power by his spirit. And the second thing that I'm going to ask us to do it might take some courage and might require you to step outside of your comfort zone. But we just finished talking about God giving us strength, so I think we can do this. Ephesians 3.18, Paul, Paul's prayer says that we would, Paul prays for us that we would have this experience together with all the Lord's holy people. And so we're meant to do this Christian life together. We're not meant to do it alone. We're meant to um, experience and grow in our faith with other believers. And we're all saints that are equipped to do God's ministry and the Spirit is strengthening all of us who are believers with power. And so we do well to use that power to build each other up. And so I'm inviting you to, after you've spent some time reflecting on where you want to see God's power and strength emerge more in your life and where you want God to pour more into you, I would invite you to put this into practice by turning to someone and, or a few people who are sitting near you and first of all, introduce yourself if you don't know them. But um, 
if you feel comfortable, share what, what you, where you would like God to, to show up more in your life. And, and listen from them for what God, where God, where they would like God to show up in their lives. And then I would like to encourage you to pray for each other. And they don't have to be long prayers. They don't have to be, you know, elaborate or whatever. If you don't know what to pray, you can literally turn to Ephesians 3, 16 to 19 and just pray that. That's the prayer that we just went through. You can pray that for them. And, and of course, if this is too far out of your comfort zone and you're already like, where's the nearest exit? And like a little bit jittery now, um, you are more than welcome to sit and pray quietly by yourself. And if someone near you is not acknowledging your efforts to <laughs> just don't be like poking them and like, hey, and getting in their face. Like, let's just, there's no judgment. Um, let's respect that. But I do want to encourage you and invite you to, to invite someone into this with you, whether it's here in this room or later on with a member of our prayer team or uh, with someone who you trust in your life. And of course, if you're watching from home, if you have people watching with you, then um, you can pray with them. And if you're watching alone, reach out to someone who you know is also watching and see if they'll pray with you. Chris is going to come and, and play while we, while we do this. But uh, one, last, one last note, we're not going to do an official, like, parents, go get your kids. But parents, once you're done with your reflection time and prayer, if you would slip out and go get your kids for the rest of the service, uh, we would really appreciate that if your kids are in kindergarten to grade four. Um, so we're going to take some time to let this happen. Let me just pray for us, and then I'm just going to encourage you to reflect and pray for each other. God, thank you so much for your glorious riches that you pour out to us and that you make available to us through the Spirit. And Lord, we have not reached the end of what you're able to do in our lives, and so I pray that you would reveal the things that we need to get rid of to make more room for you. Father, I pray that you would give us courage to admit to you and maybe someone else where we need to see you show up in our lives, where we need to be strengthened with power, where we need to more fully comprehend how wide and, and long and deep is your love, where we need to make you king in our lives and allow you to be the master of our hearts so that you can transform us. Lord, speak to us now. I pray this in Jesus' name.